We are going to get into a new series today, and uh, we're going to be talking about uh, going through the book of Esther. Uh, Timothy and I, we were talking about like what kind of, what kind of na- you know, sometimes you've got you to name your series, right? And uh, my first thought was Esther right after Easter, right? Because, yeah, somebody liked it, yeah. It's like, just add, change a couple of letters in there, but uh, that was kind of lame. Didn't really express, so we're really talking about living on purpose, and we're going to talk about some of the different characters in the book of Esther. How many of you know there were some good characters and there were some not-so-good characters? There were some dirty, rotten scoundrels, and one of the things that I've learned in life is that I can learn examples from good people as well as bad people. There's, there's things from good people that, like, oh, man, you know what? I like how they've, de- you know, they've achieved this. They've done this in life. What did you do? So you can learn the good things, and, and then you can learn things from people that have just made a train wreck of their life, like, okay, what not to do? And I, and I just got to say, like, if you were the youngest sibling, where Joshua's right there, uh, he was the child, because he's the youngest, he got in trouble the least because he saw what his brother and sister did that didn't go so well for them. Right, so he's like, okay, well, that's what not to do. So he was, uh, he was like almost this much of a perfect kid because uh, <laughs> he still had a couple of moments. But, but how many of you know? How many of you have done that in life? You've seen people like, man, I don't want to do that, and so you you learn from that. And then, like I said, there's the other one. So this story's got a lot of hero. It's got heroes, villains, and and instead of just going through the book like I normally would, just take it from chapter 1 and go all the way through it. Uh, we're going to look at four of the main characters, and, and we're going to explore that. So my challenge for you is, uh, uh, over the next couple of weeks, just read the whole book. It's not a big book. It's actually got 10 chapters, but I say technically it's 9.2 chapters because chapter 10 has only got three verses. Right, so that's, I don't even know if you can call that a chapter right there. That's like, like, like a couple words there, right? So uh, I would encourage you to read it. And when you do, pay special attention uh, to the four main people that are in the book. The first one is Esther, obviously. She's kind of the hero, the star of the book. Uh, things to know about her is that she was an orphan raised by Mordecai. And if you look at her life, you'll learn how to live for God and make a difference in a world that is evil and corrupt. How many of you know we still live in an evil and corrupt world? And there's going to be lessons that we learn from her life that we can apply to our life so that we can make a difference in our world. How many of you want to make a positive impact in our world? Amen? Uh, Next one that you pay attention to is King Xerxes, and he was the king over the country. Uh, Some of the Jews, they were kept there in exile when they were taken by King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, some of, you know, uh, Babylon was uh, basically modern-day Iraq. Uh, Persia is uh, modern, uh, modern-day Iran. And both of those countries were kind of intermingled. Uh, Babylon at one time was part of the Persian Empire. They broke free and went back. Anyway, it was kind of a crazy thing. So when you're talking about Persian Empire and Babylonian Empire, those were kind of mixed uh, depending on what was going on. But he was the king. Uh, He was arrogant, ugly, selfish, not a good guy. The other villain in the story is Haman. And if you don't know about Haman, you will hate him by the end of this. Uh, But he gets what's coming to him, let me just say that. And uh, the last one is Mordecai. He is an exiled Jew, uh, one of the good guys in this story. And actually, I would say uh, another one of the heroes. 
As much as Esther was a hero, I feel like Mordecai was as well because he basically set her up. And think about the significance of each one as you go through it. I'm going to give you a little of the background uh, before Esther, before this book was written, uh, let you understand that the nation of Israel, uh, before exiles ever happened, the nation was divided into two kingdoms. The northern tribe was all the, was 10 of the tribes of Israel. The southern nation, they called it Judah, was only the tribe of Judah. That was it. And uh, sometimes they were allies with each other. They fought together, and, and, but most of the time they were like siblings and fought against each other. So uh, the northern tribe, here's the thing with them, they never had a good king. Their whole history, if you read Kings and Chronicles, every time it mentioned a northern king, it said they did evil in the sight of God. How many of you know that would, not be, that would be a depressing place to live in, right? Like, every, like, okay, this king was rotten. Maybe the next king will be better. I can say, you know, in America, and listen, you don't have to tell me your politics on this, but sometimes we have good presidents, sometimes we have not so good presidents, right? And it's like, okay, we're in, we got, I mean, at least, you know, a president will only last four to eight years, and then you know there's going to be a change. Sometimes these guys reign for 40 years. And they're a rotten king for 40 years. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen here? Sometimes, like I said, we have good. Sometimes we have bad. Northern part of the nation never had a good king. The southern nation, they'd have a good king, then they'd have a bad king. Then they'd have a good king, and then they'd have a bad king. Well, the result of that, God judged both of the kingdoms. The northern kingdom fell first. Uh, Several hundred years later, the southern kingdom fell. But both nations were taken into captivity in the area of Persia and Babylon. So Iran, Iraq area, that's where they took them. When they conquered a nation, they took the people out of there. They would leave a few of them, but they would resettle them. And so the book of Esther takes place during this Persian rule. The Persian rule, it was vast, it was powerful. The capital was Susa, which is in modern-day Iran, again. Uh, The king of Persia was known to the Jews as Ahasuerus, but we read King uh, Xerxes, which was his Greek name. Uh, Like I said, not a good guy, but they were there living in exile. Listen, if you're in exile, you are not living fat on the hog, right? It's like you are are second-class citizen, treated that way, and that's just kind of how it was. So uh, just a bullet point version of this story because you're going to get bits and pieces of it over the next week. But starting out, King Xerxes, he threw a party, and this party was longer than any party I guarantee you've been to. It was 180 days. Yeah, that's six months. How many of you would be like, I am like partied out, okay? Like, I'm done with this. But he had a 100-day party that was going on. At the end of it, he had one last banquet. At the height of the banquet, while everybody was drunk, he called for his queen Vashti to come in. He basically wanted to show her off to everybody. And she's like, I'm not going to be that object. She refused. It made him mad, and so he decided, i got to get a new queen. As things happened, there was a search. They found the most beautiful women. We don't know how they happened, but eventually Esther was chosen. She became the queen, uh, and she was raised by her uh, cousin, Mordecai. So uh, he chose her, and then there's this wicked Haman that's in there. He's the villain in this thing. He hated Jews. He hated uh, Mordecai. He basically manipulated the king to come and kill all the Jews. So he got that passed, the order went out, where all the Jews can, uh, will be killed and you can take their stuff. 
uh, but Haman's plan twisted on him. He ended up getting hung. He wanted to hang. There's a lot of stuff going on. So I want to encourage you, if you've not read it in a while or if you've never read it, read the book of Esther. It won't take you very long. It's a great story. But today, we're going to focus on Mordecai. What did he do? So he starts out, he comes into the story in chapter 2, starting at verse 5. And it says, at this time, there was a Jewish man in the fortress of Susa. So remember, he's in Iran, basically. Uh, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jair. He was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was a descendant of Kish and Simei. His uh, family had been among those who, with King Jehoiachin of Judah, had been exiled from Jerusalem to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. So the exiles went, and that's now where they settled. And then it says, This man had a very beautiful and lovely young cousin, Hadassah, who was also called Esther, And when her father and mother died, Mordecai adopted her into his family and raised her as his own daughter. So here's the thing. Raising kids, how many of you you that have raised kids realize it's not cheap? Right? It's a lot of money. It's a lot of of extra stuff going on. But if you are in exile living in a land that's not your land, let me tell you, you're not a rich person. Mordecai wasn't a wealthy man. He was living there as that exile, but in spite of that, he took on not only the responsibility of raising this cousin of his that's not his daughter, he took on the financial aspect. And like I said, raising kids isn't easy. How many of you know raising other people's kids even harder? (laughs) I see a few hands going up there right there. It's like, okay, I got my own kids, and now I got to raise your kids too. So uh, uh, it's a challenge. It requires a lot of love. It requires a lot of patience a lot of understanding. And and we kind of think, you know, because Esther's a Bible hero, oh, she was probably never a problem as a kid, right? Like, I don't, we don't know how old she was when he adopted her, but let me just say, if she was two, then she probably went through the terrific twos, right? See, we renamed it. It's not terrible, right? It's terrific. And then the tremendous three, she ended up going through that. And and let me just say this, she was a teenage girl, right? (laughs) She went through that, all of that phase. She probably hit the phase where she knew more than Mordecai, right? How many of you know kids go through that? How many of you have been through that? Quick, call NASA. They know everything. Hire them right now, right? But here's the thing. All of that, the Scripture says that Mordecai raised her as his own daughter. He loved her, raised her as his own. And so the first lesson that we learn from Mordecai is to take care of others, Take care of others, other people. As a believer, it's not just all about me, right? Like me, myself, and I. That's the whole point of of other people and family and all of that is that we learn to uh, begin to treat other people and not just look out for yourself. So uh, let me say, that's just not Old Testament. New Testament, it says in the book of James, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for the orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. I, I like how it has it out of the Passion Version. It says, true spirituality uh, that is pure in the eyes of God our Father is to make a difference in the lives of orphans, widows, and their trouble and to refuse to be corrupted by the world's value. I love that, make a difference. How many of you know we are called to make a difference? I mean, we want to, right? I think there's something on inside of us. We want to leave the world better than the way we found it, right? 
That should be the desire. We shouldn't be at the point like, hey, listen, I don't care. I'm just, I just want to get through this thing. Let me just arrive safely to death and I'm good. No, this is, a, this is a call that God has on us. We need to be able to be caring about other people. Other people are important. And listen, this is not just about widows and orphans. Why is the scripture talking about widows and orphans? It's because those two groups were the most needy in the first century. Like if you didn't have a man around to make income, there was no welfare system, there was no social security, there was no other means, and most women couldn't get a job unless it was something that was not honorable, if you know what I'm talking about. So a lot of women went into that. So why is he saying women and orphans? Because they were the most needy. Today, we've got a lot of people that are needy. They may not be a widow. They may not be an orphan. But I believe the follower of Jesus, we should be known for those that reach out to those that are hurting, to those that are lonely, to those that have been forgotten by society, right? And treat them like family. And I believe that when you do that, guess what? I believe you please the Lord. I believe that God is honored when we do that. Listen, if you've ever served, and I know some of you as a foster parent, and you raise that child as your own, even if you have them for a few months or for the rest of their life, whatever it is, that honors God. You take care of widows. You take care of, uh, of immigrants. You know, I know that's a big issue right now. You take care of people that have a need. Love people. Love people that are difficult to love. How many of you sit next to that person right now? No, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> Whoever it is, when we serve, and sometimes you can't serve everybody, but even if you give to a ministry that does that, how many of you know God is honored? Right? What, what's all over the news right now and has been for like two months now is Ukraine. And, and we think about it. How many of us would li- love to be able to go there and do something positive to help the people that are suffering? We can't physically go over there and do that. But you know what? We have missionaries that we support. They were here last month. They were home on their regular time, and it, was, it tore them up not to go back. And I found out they're going back this week. And they're Ukrainians. They're like, we got to get back. Who would go back into a war country, right? They have that heart. And guess what? The only reason they're able to go back is because churches like ours support them monthly so that they can do that. We have missionaries that are in Poland that are helping refugees. How can they do that? Because churches like this are supporting them on a monthly basis in order to take care of that. I think of last month we picked up the Crisis Pregnancy Center in Placerville. There's a lot of young girls that that find themselves pregnant, and then it's like the whole world falls apart. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? You know, abortion is what's being pushed, but you know what? Because now we support them, we have a part to play in seeing them get help and find, uh, find ways to be able to have that baby and to raise that baby or even go to the process of adoption. So we picked up our missionaries to Angola. All of these different ministries, Christ-like services, you guys are awesome. And, uh, you know, we support them every month, and some of you guys support even more. And uh, for those of you that didn't know, we had a wedding here. Two people that had graduated from Christ-like service got married yesterday. Yeah. And I think about it, it's like we had a small part to play in that by supporting and, and giving uh, two people that at one time lives were not good, they've gotten their lives back in order and now they're living in, in the right relationship with God and with each other. Let me tell you, God is honored by that. 
God is honored by that. We obey the commands of God, and I believe that when we choose to, to care about other people, we represent Jesus well. Amen? So, uh, so that was the first point. Take care of other people. Let's move on in the story. Uh, after Esther had already been chosen as queen, uh, we, we pick it up down in chapter 2, verse 21. One day Mordecai was on duty at the king's gate. Two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthani, I guess he's a big guy, and Teresh, who were guards at the door of the king's private quarters, became angry at King Xerxes and plotted to assassinate him. Uh, basically, this was a coup that was going on which happened a lot back then. Like if they didn't like the king, hey, listen, let's kill him. Let's get somebody else in there. But fortunately for this king, Mordecai heard about the plot, gave the information to Queen Esther. She then told the king about it, gave, it to Mordecai, gave Mordecai credit for the report. And then when an investigation was made and Mordecai's story was found to be true, the two men were impaled on sharpened poles. Doesn't sound good. But it says this was all recorded in the book of the history of King Xerxes' reign. So they would keep a daily log, basically a journal. This is what happened today. This is what happened today. And it's important to note that this king, he was arrogant. He was a jerk. A lot of people didn't like him, but guess what? He was still king. And I think probably one of the laws in the land says you don't kill the king. How many of you know, right, that had to be in there somewhere. It's kind of like right now, you know what, you may like the president, you may not like the president, but how many of you know uh, it's against the law to kill the president, right? You can't do that. It doesn't mean, you can post a mean post or something, but you can't kill him, right? And so Mordecai knew, hey, listen, we can't kill the king. I know there's a plot. Yes, he might have been a jerk. Yes, he might have done this. He probably had reason these guys were upset with him. But that was the thing. And listen, when he did it, when he basically turned those guys in, he didn't get uh, an award. He didn't get a medal or a payback or a reward. Hey, listen, here's $10,000 for uh, exposing that. He just did the right thing. He wasn't trying to position himself. But I do believe this, because he did do the right thing, there were several things that happened. Uh, first of all, he, he showed himself to be a person of integrity And what that did for Esther is that she was no longer just the king's beautiful wife. Now she was like somebody that he could really trust that had connections outside that he can really rely on. So that kind of cemented her position there. Remember it says that it was written in the daily log? Well, later on in the story, and we'll talk about that in another day, but uh, there was a plot where Haman was wanting to kill him. And all of a sudden the, the king got couldn't sleep one night, had his attendant, bring in the books. I want to read what's been going on in my kingdom. The guy happened to read the part about Mordecai turning in this plot. And and he said, well, what is it? Has anything happened to him to honor him? And it was like, no. So he basically had Haman, who was trying to kill him, have to go out and honor him, which had to be humiliating for him. But it was all because Mordecai chose to do the right thing. And it may be simple, but this is the second lesson that we want to learn about Mordecai is simply do the right thing. I mean, how hard is that? Like, Pastor, you're getting so theologically deep today. (laughs) Oh, man, how did you ever discover that? But this is so simple but so real. If we can just do the right thing. And listen, there's not always an immediate payoff when you do the right thing, am I right? As a matter of fact, sometimes it costs you to do the right thing. If you've got an employer that's kind of cutting corners and you're like, hey, listen, this isn't right, 
and he wants you to do it anyway, and you like you refuse to because you know it's not the right thing, guess what? You may lose your job. Not only that, you may, you, know, you may not lose your job, but maybe you don't get the raise. Maybe you don't get the promotion that you thought that you, that you probably do deserve. But I do believe this, that God will use your actions of integrity to position you and to protect you for whatever's coming along the, down the road, right? And I know, I've heard people say, well, I did the right thing and nothing happened. I did the right thing, I didn't get anything. I tithed and I didn't get anything back. What's going on with that? I obeyed God and nothing happened. I just want to say this, continue doing the right thing. Because we even sing this song, God is working behind the scenes. What, what, did, what was that song? Waymaker. Even when I don't see it, he's working. When you choose to do the right thing, I believe that God is doing things behind the scenes to bless you, to honor you, uh, to protect you. And we're told this out of Galatians 6.9. Let's not get tired, or some versions say weary, of doing what is good. Now let me ask you this. Why would Scripture say don't get tired of doing good? Sometimes it gets tiring to do the right thing when nobody else is, right? Anybody ever feel like, I'm the, one, I'm the only one doing the right thing. Everybody else is doing the wrong thing. And you almost feel like they're getting away with stuff. They're cutting corners. They're doing that. Uh, sometimes it's like, okay, God, I'm tired of doing it. I'm just going to do the wrong. You know, that person cut me off one too many times. I, I've, I've had enough of it, God. I'm about to speed up ahead of them and cut them back off, right? Uh, don't grow tired of doing good. What does he say? At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't do what? Don't give up, right? And then uh, verse 10, it says, Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, but especially to those that are in the family of faith. So understand, we should do good to everybody. Whether they're a believer, whether they're not a believer, we should. But I want to just say this, especially amongst those that call themselves believers. If you're a follower of Christ, I think what the biggest shame sometimes in church is when you have division going on. Two people that claim to love God, and it's like, well, that person did this, and they did that, and they go back. I mean, every church has that. It happens all the time. Sometimes it blows up in big splits. Sometimes it's a group of people that go, uh, whatever the situation. But let me just say, especially in the family of faith, because we are giving a testimony. We need to do the right thing, even if it means that I get wronged. Because I've given up my right when I surrender my life to the Lord. Even if I get shortchanged in the thing. Uh, so keep doing right. And friends, don't get discouraged. If you don't see the reward, let me, let me just say this. If you do the right thing because of the reward, like how many of you have seen the little dog posters, you know what, reward $1,000? Uh, how many of you know you wouldn't look for the dog if there wasn't that reward, right? It's not my dog. You do that for the reward. But in God's kingdom, if you're looking for the reward, how many of you know you're doing it with the wrong motive? All right, you're doing it for the wrong thing. Let me just say this, men. If you're being extra nice and helpful to your wife because you're expecting a certain payback later, you know what I'm talking about, right? Let me tell you, wrong motive. That's the wrong motive to do that. And doing the right thing, if you're doing the right thing, okay, God, I'm going to do this. I'm going to give my tithe or whatever because I'm expecting the big cha-ching back, right? How many of you know that's the wrong motive? Motives matter. We've got to begin to choose to do the right thing simply because it's the right thing. Just because it's the right thing. And I promise you, if you can get to that point where you're doing that, that at just the right time, which is going to be God's timing, 
that God is going to pour out a blessing in your life. And, and might it be financial? Maybe. It may be something else. How many of you know there are things that are more important than finances? Right? Having peace of mind, having relationships, having a lot. You know, how, how much would you give to have a relationship restored? A lot of us have broken, fractured relationships and family. What would I do to be obedient? Do the right thing. That's a lot more important than money, amen? So don't give up. I want to share, and some of you guys have heard my testimony. When I got saved, I went to Bible college for a couple of years, and then I went into the military, and then I went back to Bible college after that, and after that I went full-time into the military. When I enlisted, because I did have Bible college, I had college credits, they count that for a promotion. So I went in, not as a, an E1, which is like a private, like nothing. You don't even have anything on your, on your thing right there. You're like a, you're like a nothing. <laughs> That's what you go in. But because I had college credit, I got to go in as an E3, which is a private first class. Sounds really important, right? So I went in as that, got put to my first duty station, which you guys all feel bad for me. I had to suffer in Hawaii. Uh, everybody go, oh. I always tell people there's tough duty stations. Somebody's got to do it, right? So anyway, I got to Hawaii, and uh, I was very fortunate that the Lord blessed me with a platoon sergeant that was very anti-Christian. <laughs> and I'm saying blessed because God taught me something out of that. He knew. I mean, we had our daughter was just a few months old when we got there. And then Timothy was born a few months after that, and, and we were tight. We never had enough money to hardly do anything. It was tough. It was difficult, and he would razz me all the time. He goes, oh, he goes, I bet you're one of those tithing Christians, aren't you? And I'm like, you know, I never told him that. I'm like, well, yeah. He goes, well, that's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. He goes, he goes, you've got a family, you've got kids, and you're allowing that church to manipulate you and do all. I mean, he, would, he wasn't just like disagreeing. It was like angry disagreeing. He was angry. that, And then they would have the platoon parties, which were basically a get drunk party. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is a mandatory party. I'm like, you can't mandatory make me come to the, your party. That's not a part of my job. And so I kind of bucked that, and he knew that I was right. But it really made him mad that I didn't come and get drunk with all the rest of them. And, and here's the thing. When I got to the platoon, there were six of us that got there about the same time. All of us fresh privates uh, that were there. I was the E3. They were all E-nothings when we got there. So I outranked them. But here's the thing. Over the next two years, because of his anger to me and not, you know, he could never write me up because I didn't do anything wrong. I was trying to do the right thing and, and be there and work and show up. I never showed up Monday with a, a hangover, throwing up and all the stuff that all these other guys did. Here's the thing. He promoted all six of those guys ahead of me. So they all hit E3. Here I am, still in E3. Eventually, he promoted them all to E4. And here I was, still in E3. Eventually, 26 months later, I had a mandatory promotion. If they, I mean, it was like I got promoted, but it wasn't because he couldn't stop it because there was nothing to write up against me. So I got promoted. Uh, however, all of those guys, because they got promoted ahead of me, still outranked me. You know, they went up there. And let me just say, I was not happy about it. I was a little frustrated over it. I, was, I grumbled a little bit to the Lord over it, but I felt like the Lord says, you know what, just keep doing right. Just keep doing the right thing. Well, here's the thing. After I got promoted to E4, about two months later, the platoon sergeant that didn't like me, he went on a six-month deployment to Samoa, uh, so he was gone. We had another sergeant came in, 
And after seeing my record, he's like, hey, listen, why haven't you been to PLDC, which uh, some of you guys know it's primary leadership development course. You have to have that in order to get promoted to E5, which is sergeant. And I, I, I didn't bust out. I'm like, you know what? I don't know. So he sent me to the school. As soon as I got out, I got promoted to E5, sergeant, uh, head of all of these other guys. And this is why this guy's gone. A couple of months later, our old platoon sergeant came back saw the rank on my collar like I could just see his face. It was, he, was, he was actually Hawaiian, uh, but it was turning red anyway because he was an E6. And so now I'm only one rank under him, and I got promoted to get ahead of all of his, uh, his little cronies that were there. And uh, the lesson that God taught me out of that is keep doing the right thing. Just do the right thing. Yes, you're going to get the short end of the, stat, uh, the stick every now and then. It's not going to happen as soon as you want. It's not going to happen how you want. But I want to tell you, you keep doing the right thing, and God will honor that. God will honor that. I mean, that was a lesson I learned that years ago. Like I said, I've only been a Christian for a few years at that point, and I just remember, okay, God, I want to do the right thing because God has shown me that he will lift me up at the right time. Amen? Amen. So let's move on with the story. Esther chapter 3, we find out it says all the king's officials would bow, bow down to Haman to show him respect whenever he passed by. For so the king had commanded, but Mordecai refused to bow down or show him respect. Then the palace officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, why, aren't you, why are you disobeying the king's command? They spoke to him day after day. But still, he refused to comply with the order. So they spoke to Haman, and I love this, to see if he would tolerate Mordecai's conduct. Like, how long are you going to put up with this? He's disrespecting you, and, uh, since Mordecai told him he was a Jew. But here's the thing. Mordecai refused to bow down to a man. He worshipped who? The one true God. Amen. He wasn't going to worship anyone else. Let me just ask you this. Does that remind you of any other exiled Jews? <laughs> yeah, Daniel. And the other one, you got both of them, Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Bow down to the idol, you know, no, we're not going to do it, even if it means death for us. Daniel, hey, listen, you can't pray to any other God but, uh, any other God but me, and Daniel didn't do it. So let me just say, in today's world, we're probably not going to have that exact situation. Probably not going to have a president say, you need to bow down and worship me, at least not yet. Not that some of our politicians wouldn't love that, but at this point, that's not the thing. But here's what we do have. Too many times we allow other things to creep in and become more important than God. Am I right? If something in our life is, gets more importance, whether it's our time, our attention, our interest, our money, if something is more than Jesus, let me tell you, it's time to evaluate our priorities. Amen? I mean, we learn from Mordecai, what we're learning from him in this situation is that we worship God first and only. He's got to be number one. He's got to be number one in our life. And so how do, we, uh, how do we evaluate that? And we have to ask ourselves this question, does God truly get first place in my life? Is he really there? I mean, we love God, right? Oh, I love God. I, uh, he's, he's number one in my life, but is he really? See, we have to evaluate because there's a lot of things that are important in your life. Am I right? How many of you have, uh, you're in your house or apartment or wherever. Is that important to you? Do you lock it when you leave? Because if it's not, <laughs> Delton, it's like, no. Okay, some of you guys that live in really remote areas, 
where nobody's going to come by but the deer and the squirrel, you're probably not locking your house up, right? <laughs> so those of you that happen to live in a neighborhood where there's other houses, how many of you lock it up? Because it's important. It's like, okay, you know what? I don't mind helping and sharing people, but it's not going to be a throwaway for anybody that happens to walk by, right? Our house is important. How many of you got family that's important? Right? Absolutely. Nothing wrong with that. Is your vehicle important? Yeah. Do you lock it up? Yeah, absolutely. Especially if you go down to downtown Sacramento, doesn't really matter if you lock it up there or not. It's going to get broken into. Amen. So let's move on. (laughs) Your time. Is your time important? Yes, absolutely. So we got a lot of things that are important to us, but we need to ask ourselves, is God truly first in that? So we can say, does that reflect in my schedule? Do I make time for God? Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan? Uh, There's a lot of lessons you can learn from that. Uh, But one of them, the priest and the Levite that walked by the guy on the road, they just didn't have the time for him. Yes, there's other cultural things that we could talk about, but I think one of the lessons in that is like, listen, do you have time for other people? Do you have time for God in your life? Oh, man, I'm so busy. Everybody says that. How many of you are busy? Let's, be, let's show a hand. How many of you are busy? We're all busy, right? Life is busy. We're all, we're all busy doing something, but how many of you know that you find time for that, what is important to you? Like when you're hungry, how many of you find time to eat? Right? It may be delayed, but you're going to get something even if you have to go to a McDonald's or something, right? Oh, man, I'm hungry. I got to get to get some. You find time for it. Uh, how many of you, no matter how busy you are, when you got to go to the bathroom, you find time for it? Oh, I just don't have time for it. So, you know, I'm just kidding. So <laughs> you're going to find time. You will find time. And so if God is really important to you, if he's number one, I'm going to find time to spend time with God. Even if it means I have to get up 10, 15 minutes early, you know, even if it means I have to turn that TV off. We all have time to spend, whatever it is. Other thing that we can look at to ask ourselves, is that reflect in my bank account? You know, money is a big deal to us, isn't it? It's kind of hard to live without money. Anybody found that success yet? Uh, so money is important, and it's nothing wrong with having money. What do they say? As long as money doesn't have you. So that's why there's so much teaching about it. That's why you hear us talk about it, because it's such a stronghold in, in people's lives. And what does Jesus say in Matthew 6? He says, don't, don't store up treasures here on earth where moth and rust, dis, uh, uh, moth eat them. Anybody have food, or food, uh, clothing that ever got ruined by moths? I don't think I ever have, but I don't know where that happens. Some of you guys have, right? Uh, but I've had clothes that have certainly uh, fallen apart, right? Uh, so, or what is this where rust destroys? Anybody ever have a vehicle rust out on you? Yeah, yeah, all of that happens. Where thieves break in, anybody ever have something stolen from you? Yeah, <laughs> hands going up everywhere. So when we put all of our treasures, like moths are going to eat it, rust going to eat it, thieves are going to break in. What does he say? Store your treasures where? In heaven. There are no, apparently there's no moths in heaven, no rust up there. Uh, no thieves, of course, are not going to be up there to break in and steal because he says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. How do I get my treasure off of the things of this earth to the things of God? Part of that is being able to give, right? So is God for it? Does it reflect in my bank account? Am I giving God or am I just tipping God? Oh, here, here's your 20, God. Thank you. 
You know, does it, okay, I don't want to I don't want to pick on anybody here, but we've got to really evaluate that. Does God really have first place? What about this one? Is it reflected in how or I use my talents? God-given talents that God's given us. And you're like, "Oh, I don't have any talents." Yes, you do. You have more than you realize. Do I use it for God's kingdom? You know, the parable of the talents, Matthew 25, uh, spells it out. One got five, one got two, one got one. Uh, We don't have to be, if you've only got one talent, guess what? You're not responsible for five talents. You're responsible for whatever it is that God has given you. And Jesus tells these different stories to point out areas in our life that have the ability to push God out. And it's like, okay, God, if if you're really number one, I want to make sure that you're number one. And Mordecai put God first. So let's move on in this story. The king set a date where the Jews would be killed and their properties confiscated because Haman, and we'll learn about him a little bit more later, uh, tricked him into that. It wasn't long before the word spread. If you heard that, hey, listen, all blue-eyed people are going to die and you have blue eyes, how many of you know you'd be a little nervous? Like, oh no, what's going on here? Well, the Jews found out this proclamation. It's going to happen at this future date. And they started getting a little bit concerned. And we find out in uh, chapter 4, it says, When Mordecai learned about it, had been done, he tore his clothes, put on burlap and ashes, went out into the city, crying with a loud and bitter wail. He went as far as the gate of the palace, where no one was allowed to enter the palace gate while wearing clothes of mourning. And it says, as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces, there was this great mourning amongst the Jews. They fasted, wept, wailed, and many people lay in burlap and ashes. And it's like, what is up with the burlap and ashes? Like, why in the world do it? I mean, think about it. Like today in our modern culture, if someone dies and we go to the funeral, what is the color we usually wear? Right, black. It represents mourning. Right? It's not because, oh man, I just black just looks so good on me. That's why I like to wear that, right? You don't you don't typically see people show up like like if it's a husband that passed away, the wife is not going to show up in a floral outfit. Right? They they don't do that. You, because it is a sign of mourning. There's nothing wrong with doing that, but back then and, and people in other parts of the world, especially centuries ago, the way they indicated their mourning is they put on some really itchy clothing burlap right? Think about that. Sackcloth. They put that on and then they would sit. Sometimes they would just sit like where there was a fire. Oh, there's ashes. I'm going to sit on that and I'm going to throw it over my head. It was just a sign. And and why did they do that? Because they grieved openly. They let other people know that they were in grief. They didn't just hide it. And, And I think sometimes in our culture, when we grieve, how many of you know, especially the American culture, we kind of hide it, right? This is the, the fill-in. We celebrate things publicly. Oh, I got a raise. Oh, I got this. I got that. But when we suffer, we have got, we, by and large, our culture, we suffer privately. We don't want people to know, right? You get a bad report from the doctor. Oh, well, I'm not going to share that. I don't want to burden people with that. Just going to kind of keep it to myself. Maybe you hit a financial difficulty, and because you're embarrassed because of some of the things that you've spent money on. I'm not going to share that with anybody. Or uh, maybe you're experiencing a difficulty in your marriage and instead of reaching out for help, you just kind of withdraw. You're like, okay, we can do this. We can fix it. We can get through it. Uh, maybe struggling with parenting and you don't, you're certainly not going to tell that because you know what? There's a pressure on parents to make everybody think that their kids are the best. 
All right? Oh, man, my kid's this, my kid is that. My... You don't want to tell anybody that you're struggling. It's going to look, make your kid look bad, make you look bad. Maybe you've gone in life and made some bad decision. You're heading down a bad road, and you don't want to say anything to anybody because it's going to make you look dumb. Like, what? You did what? <laughs> How could you do something like that? And it's interesting that sometimes at, we hide our hurt, and then when we crash and burn... We want to blame God, and sometimes we blame the church. And I've heard this. I've been, I've been on the receiving in this, so I'm telling you this happens. Sometimes we, they blame the church. Why weren't you guys there for us? Yeah, didn't even know, right? I can't tell you how many times my wife has said, you know what, I, when we accepted the position as pastors, we didn't get a crystal ball with it, right? What is going on in so-and-so's life? I mean, if they did, then that's creepy. You need to go to a different church, right? We didn't know. And, and it's foolish to expect people to help uh, heal the hurt if we don't admit it, if we don't tell what's going on. And like I said, we all do it, right? You Maybe you're going through something and somebody comes up and says, hey, how are you doing and what's our response? Great. Yeah, great, fine. I'm fine. And the reality, I mean, and let me just say, I don't really blame just the response on that because a lot of times when we ask people how they're doing, we don't really want to know. Am I right? How are you doing? Well, let me tell you how to do it. No, no, I'm just kidding. You know what? And so we change it from saying, how are you doing, to say, hey, good to see you. <laughs> right? Because if I say, good to see you, I don't have to hear what you're going on. So maybe we need to change that. If we really ask somebody how you're doing, maybe we should actually be concerned about how they're doing. That way, maybe the response might actually be honest. Oh, do you really want to know? All right, sometimes we say that. So it's just this thing that, that we hide it. So what we learn from Mordecai is don't hide it when you're hurting. Don't hide it. When you're going through something, we've got... And listen, I, I encourage the first service with this. You've got to let somebody know. You may not... And I want to encourage you. You don't want to let everybody know. All right? You don't want to like get up here and like, oh, yeah, I'm going to tell everybody my problem. No, but you need to have some people that, that are believers that will stand with you and pray with you and, and bring it to the Lord. That's why sometimes, you know, and we'll do it today, we have people pray for you after service because you, it's like, I've got a need. I mean, look at what it says in James right here. It says, uh, if any of you are suffering hardship, uh, you should pray. Are anyone happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? What does it say? You should call. Sometimes I call somebody, I haven't seen them in a while, and it's like, hey, how's it going? How have you been? Oh, I've been in the hospital, I've been in this, been in that. And I'm like, wow, I didn't even know. All right? We need to call. We need to call for the elders of the church, come and pray over them, anoint them with order. So there is a, there is a part of it that is on us. And I just want to say that when you are willing to share your struggles, you are going to be surprised to find out that there are other people that have gone through what you're going through. Other people have been there, and they can give you good advice. We've always likened it like going through a minefield. How many of you know sometimes life is like going through a minefield? Ah, boom, you stepped on that one, blow up. If you find somebody that's been through the minefield that you're going through, they can say, hey, listen, don't step there because I stepped there, right? Don't step on that one, and they can help navigate you. But there are other times that maybe you talk to somebody they haven't been through what you've been through, but they're willing to stand there with you and to pray with you, right? To be there with you. I know sometimes we're like, well, you know what? You don't understand what I'm going through. You don't have to understand, right? All you got to do is be there. And, and then this is the other excuse. I, we were talking in men's Bible study. Well, I don't want to be a burden to you. I don't want to be a burden. Anybody ever feel that way? 
I don't want to tell anybody because I don't want to put that on them. You've got so many of your own problems. I don't want to add any extra burden. Well, here's a good thing to, a deal that I want to make with you. How about we let us decide what's a burden? Right? Instead of you thinking I'm going to burden, and I, you know, oh, pastor, I know you're so busy. You got this, that, and the other thing. Hey, listen, you tell me anyway. You tell somebody else anyway because you may be surprised how much willing people are willing to carry. That's what the scripture says in Galatians 6 2. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. That's what we're supposed to do. As followers of Christ, we're not just like, hey, listen, I got my own stuff. You deal with your stuff. Right? No, we are to carry each other's burdens. And here's the principle that I want you to understand out of this is that nobody can help you carry a hidden burden. If you're carrying something and you've got, you know, you're heavy in your spirit and you're not telling anybody about it, then there's nobody that can come alongside of you to help carry that. I want to tell you, life is much better when you're not having to be weighted down the whole time. And this, and guess what? You need to be able to be there for somebody else when they can't make it. Like, hey, listen, you know what? You helped me carry my burden back then. Let me help you carry this one. Right? And you pray with them, and you're there for them. Amen? So uh, here's the thing. Mordecai, he wept right outside the palace gate. He, he probably had this idea. I don't think Queen Esther knows what's going on. You know, she was up there, she kind of uh, uh, isolated from what's going on. So he went out there mourning, and, uh, and, and it worked because it got her attention. She's like, why is he out there in sackcloth? What's going on? She sent clothes to uh, replace his burlap. He refused. Uh, and I'm just going to read this. It's not, in, it's not up on the screen or anything. Uh, out of verse 5, it says, Esther sent to Hathax, one of the king's eunuchs, who had been appointed as attendant. She ordered him to go to Mordecai. Find out what's troubling him. Why is he in mourning? Mordecai uh, told him the whole story, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. Mordecai gave uh, the copy of the decree uh, and called for the death of all the Jews, and he asked Hathax to show it to Esther, explain to her the situation. So he did that, and he returned uh, to Esther with Mordecai's message. Then Esther told him... uh, Go back and relay this message to Mordecai. All the king's officials and even the people in the province know that anyone who appears before the king in his inner court without being invited is doomed to die unless the king holds out his gold scepter. And the king has not called for me to come for him in 30 days. So uh, Hathach gave Esther's message to Mordecai. And then Mordecai sent this reply back to Esther. Don't think for a moment that because you're in this place... You will escape all the other Jews. And then like the most famous passage out of Esther, he says, if you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief from the Jews will arise from some other place. Like God's always rescued his people. He's always used somebody. But he's saying, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. He's like, listen, you're a Jew. Don't think you're going to escape. Don't think you're going to get out of that. Don't waste your influence. Don't waste, stand up and speak. He's basically telling her, do what's right. Like he's done what's right all the time. And he's saying, listen, it's your turn to do what's right. And you see, Mordecai, he was a nobody, really. He didn't have any position. He was a guy that hung out at the gate. Uh, But God used him to speak power to influence and bring that challenge. 
And I believe that this is absolutely true right here, that God consistently uses nobodies to do incredible things. A lot of times we're like, ah, who am I? I'm nobody. I can't do that. I don't have a voice. You know, I don't have have influence. I don't have all of that. Uh, Listen, you don't have to because God's got it. Right? How many of you know God can use us? And he uses nobodies to do great things all the time. Amen? How many of you glad to be a nobody? We, we spend our lives trying to be a somebody, trying to impress somebody. It's like, you know what, God, I just want to serve you and allow God to do something. And, and we'll go into more deal, uh, detail later about, but Esther did accept the challenge. But I want to go all the way back again to Mordecai's beginning. When he adopted Esther as a kid, both of her parents died. He raised her as his own daughter. And guess what? At that time, when she's a little girl, whatever age she was, he didn't know what lied ahead. He didn't know that one day she would be queen. He had no idea that, that even if she became queen, that she would be used to save all of the Jews. He had no, he had no idea that she would have that power and influence. What happened is that he saw a need and met it. It's like, oh, there's a need. My cousin doesn't have a family, so I'm going to bring her in. He was just doing the right thing. There was a need there, and he met that. He loved and cared for her. He didn't have the motive of, oh, man, I'm going to get something out of this. But one day, years later, God rewarded him in a powerful way. And this is what I want to challenge you. The person you reach out today may be used by God to save you tomorrow. God may, more than that, right? He may use that person to, uh, to, to reach other people, right? The person that you invest in. Why do we do kids ministry? Why do we uh, reach out in that area? Because you don't know what you're doing. You don't know who, that may be an Esther that's in that class. That may be a, a Mordecai that's being raised up in that class. And, and one thing that really blessed me last month when we had David Cartwright, missionaries to Costa Rica, they're local, they're from this area, I didn't realize that there were so many people that were in this church that poured into his life when he was a kid. And uh, he, they were Royal Ranger leaders, and he was just, he said that his parents had just gone through a divorce. He was kind of lost and confused, and there were, there were men in Royal Rangers that poured into his life that come to our church right now. Most of them were in the first service. I think you were too, Daryl, right? So, yeah, so some of you, and I think, what an incredible thing, because who would have known that this kid from a divorced home would one day become a missionary? And he shared this story when he was here last month, how they started a Bible school, they had 14 kids that graduated from it. What he didn't share, he shared with me later, he says that those 14 kids that graduated planted three different churches that are going now. And so here's the thing. You're reaching out to people today. You don't know what's going to happen to that person in 20 years. And it doesn't have to be a kid. It could be somebody, you know, that's just going through something. And because you showed love to them, you have no idea what God's going to do in their life. So my challenge of you is uh, don't, don't worry about, oh, immediate results. I want that right now. No, you, be, you leave it to God. Remember this. Remember it said in Galatians 6, 9. Don't get tired. Don't get weary of doing good at the right time. At the right time, not my time, but God's time, God will pour out a harvest of blessing. And I think if Mordecai were here today, he'd say, hey, listen, believe it. It happened in my life. The good that you do is seen and noticed by God. How many of you know, nobody else may see it. Nobody else may record it. But guess who does? The one that matters. 
right? The only one that can really reward us. So, so I, I don't dare give up. If you're doing the right thing, keep doing it. Don't give up. Keep pressing on. Keep doing the right thing. And, and I want to tell you that God is going to do incredible things. Whatever we give, whatever we say, whatever we do today, can be, uh, God can do more than we can even imagine. Amen? Another verse that I, one of my verses that, that, I mean, if you've been a believer, you probably know this one well. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is within us. Amen? What's the greatest thing that you can imagine God doing in your life? Have you ever, like, just thought about it? Oh, man, God could use me to do this, that, and the other thing. Whatever it is, what's he saying? More than you can ask or even imagine. More than you can even imagine. And so why? Because of his power. Not because of you. Not because how wonderful you are. And listen, you may or may not ever see the results of that. You know, it's, it's awesome when you get to. I can think over the years, the number, and I'm just using my wife, number of kids that she's ministered to over the years at all the different churches. Listen, some of them have risen up their leadership there. Some are missionaries. Uh, some of them have gone on to do great things. Some of them not so great. Uh, but let me just say, there was an investment that was made. I'm sure the same is, uh, is true with, where's she at back there? Maryland, you know. She's been ministering to kids for a long time. Deborah's in there right now. You keep serving, you keep doing, you keep doing the things, and God will bring the, raise them up. Amen? Amen? So I want to show you one more thing about uh, Mordecai that he didn't expect would ever happen. This is the very last verse in the book chapter uh, 10, verse 3. It says, Mordecai the Jew became the prime minister with authority next to that of King Xerxes himself. He was very great among the Jews who held him in high esteem because he continued to work for the good of his people and to speak up for the welfare of all their descendants. How many of you know that's a fancy way he kept doing the right thing? He kept doing the right thing. He kept doing no matter what was going on. And can you imagine? He's an exile. He's a Jewish person that is treated like a second class. And, and let me say, this isn't, he's not the first one that God raised up like that. We know he did that for Daniel. He did that for Joseph when he was in Egypt. Why? Because they all chose to do the right thing. And this is a last filling in your notes is that God honors faithfulness. Right? I started this service out talking about faithfulness. Just keep doing it. Be faithful. God honors that. Listen, if we're just hit and miss all the time with God, uh, we're going to miss the blessings that God has for us. We've got to get committed. It's not about striving for position or recognition, because if you do that in life, can I tell you, that won't satisfy. Oh, I've got to get this position. I've, I've known other pastor friends that that they seek position. Oh, I want this. Oh, and they're trying to rub shoulders uh, with the right people. I'm sure you probably know some of those, Pat. <laughs> they're, they're trying to get it in. I'm trying to work it. I'm trying to work the situation. You may be surprised to find out that even in churches, there's politics. Whoa, really? Is right. Jenny's got exposed to some of that right there. Uh, listen, we never played politics. I'm like, if God puts me somewhere, then God puts me there. Uh, we need, God is looking for faithfulness. It's not about connection. It's not about that. Uh, if we just make your life quest, God, I want to be faithful. I want to serve you. I want to do what's right. And I want to tell you that, God, you're going to look back one day and you're going to say, wow, God has been so good to me. God, you've blessed me. I mean, I look at my life right now and listen, we've had plenty of struggles. 
And I thank God you have been such a blessing. And it's not because I'm good, but it's just making that your quest. God, I want to be faithful. I want to serve you. I want to do what's right. And let me just say, we've had plenty of opportunity to not do what's right. All right, there's been some people that, that I just wanted to do wrong after they did wrong to me. Anybody ever been there? <laughs> right, somebody done me wrong song. I wanted to sing it and do something about it, right? But uh, it's like, no, no, God. I mean, I, I can remember my wife and I having numerous conversations like, Lord, why do we always got to take the high road? It's like, can I not just veer off for a little bit and take this low road for a minute? Our flesh, how many of you, your flesh wants to do that? Let me just get down there in the mud with it. And it's like, no, no, God, we got to do the right thing. It, it doesn't always feel good, but I want to tell you, eventually you're going to look back and you're like, God, you've been so good. You've been so good. So I want to have everybody stand. And I want to thank you guys for being here the Sunday after Easter. You may not realize it, but this is one of the traditionally lowest Sundays of the year. Because everybody like, hey, I did my church thing last week. <laughs> I'm not even kidding there. <laughs> so uh, faithfulness. God is looking for that in our lives. And listen, uh, I know uh, I'll, I'll be up here to pray. And Bill and Beth, could y'all come up here as well? And Pat and Sean. I think one of the most important things, listen, if you're suffering, if you're going through something and you need prayer, it says to call on the elders of the church and have them pray. Well, you know what? Your call is just to walk up to the front and get prayer. So I want to encourage you to do that. If you're going through something, you just need God to intervene. Can we, we'll just take a moment while Timothy leads. And uh, listen, if somebody's up here in prayer, it's okay if you want to come up and put a hand on their back and just agree in prayer. It's okay to do that because that's another sign of saying, hey, listen, I'm with you. You're not going through this alone, whatever it is. And guess what? We don't have to know all the details. We just know how to know how to pray, amen? Amen. So let's, uh, let's just take a minute. If you need a touch from God in any way, uh, just come up to one of us. And Where's Delton at? Come, you come over here too.